to ask you to turn to Psalm 119, verse 147. Psalm 119, verse 147. ask you to change gears now. It's hard for me to adjust my thinking after hearing that presentation of what God is doing through that church in the city of Manila. What a tremendous work the Lord is doing there. And... Uh, But uh, let's just uh, endeavor to focus our thoughts now on the scriptures. And uh, I want to say to you that it's not too late to start a a read-through-the-Bible plan for this year. It's not too late just because, you know, we're, we're in middle to late January. I wanted to bring this message to encourage that, to encourage you to do that. And uh, if not that, then at the very least, to make sure that that this year, more than last year and more than the years before, you're going to be into the Bible. And I want to say that I want you to do that, and I urge you to do that, because, you know, the Bible can help you. The Bible can help you. Verse uh, 147 says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. And that really resonates with us because we need help. You and I who are Christians, we need help. Now the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that, well, you have help. We know from the scriptures that God helps us. You can read about that in Isaiah 41, verse 10, verse 13 and 14, Psalm 121, and many other places. God helps you. Jesus helps us. Hebrews 4.16 says we can come to him all the time and uh, he'll help us. The Spirit helps us. We know from Romans 8.26 that uh, in our weakness, the Spirit of God helps us. And then other Christians help us. 2 Corinthians 1.11, Paul, tremendous affliction, but he was helped by other Christians. You have Christians who can help you. And this is all wonderful. We're not without help. Our focus tonight is the fact that We get help from the Bible. And uh, we need help. We need help from all those other sources. We need help from the Bible. Why is that? Well, because life is difficult. Sometimes life is particularly difficult. We read in Psalm 77, verse 4, You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And sometimes that's how life is. You're so troubled that you can't even bring yourself to speak. Perhaps it's temptations, perhaps it's the trials and tribulations of life, perhaps it's the difficulties at work or in family, Uh, perhaps it's that your health is breaking down, but whatever the case, you find yourself so troubled that you can't even speak, you can't even express it. We need help. And the psalmist says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. So for the Christian, you see, then, uh, we're never helpless and hopeless. We cry to the Lord. We hope in his word, and we get help. You're never bereft of aid. You're never forsaken. Uh, The Lord is always there to help you. And tonight, 
We're thinking about the fact that he helps us particularly through his word. Many other avenues of his assistance that come to us. Uh, But tonight, it's his word we're thinking about. And I want to speak to you, first of all, about familiarity with the word. Familiarity with the word. Are you very familiar with the word of God? Do you have it on the tip of your tongue? Do you have it at your fingertips? Is your blood bibline? Are you full of the scriptures? Charles Bridges writes, Instability of faith arises from a lack of fixed recollection of the promises of God. Amid the billows of temptation, we can only cast anchor sure and steadfast in an habitual and intelligent confidence upon the full, free, firm promise of the word. You see the phrase there, or hear the phrase, instability of faith. That's what happens when you're shaken. You know, something happens and you're shaken. And you're unstable. And you're unsteady on your feet in a spiritual sense. And uh, Bridges is saying that when our faith falters, it is often because we fail to be familiar with the Word or we fail to remember the Word. And that's why we're shaken. We don't know what the Bible says or we don't remember what the Bible says and so something happens and, and we're shaken and we're unstable. There's this instability of faith. In Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, the disciples find that there are 4,000 people who need something to eat and they say, well now, what are we going to do? They were shaken. There was instability in their faith. They were shaken Because they didn't remember. There was not this fixed recollection of the promises and the power of God. They should have known just two chapters prior in chapter 6, Jesus had fed 5,000 people miraculously. And now they're confronted with 4,000 people and they say, what are we going to do? And they'd forgotten there was this instability of faith because they were forgetful about God's power and God's promises. You see, David is, is not such a man. David is a man uh, not guilty of that kind of thing the way we so often are. He's intimately familiar with the Word of God. You read Psalm 119. Oh, he knows the Word. He's familiar with the Word. Look at these verses. Verse 140. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Verse 145, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. Verse 153, look on my affliction and deliver me. I do not forget your law. Verse 157, many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. David is a man of the word. Verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. So David's a man of the word and David remembers the word. He knows the promises of God and the power of his God. And Charles Bridges writes again 
To hope in the word of God is to build ourselves upon our most holy faith and to lay all our desires and cares, all our weights and burdens upon a solid, unsinkable foundation. Have the word of God as your foundation so that you might navigate the troubled waters of life. Have the word of God as your foundation so that you will have help in all of the trials and afflictions of life. Be familiar, I beg you, be familiar with the word of God. It doesn't take a great deal to to be in the word, you know. You can take 12 minutes of the day and do it every day to read the Bible. Read the Bible 12 minutes a day. And in a year, you'll get through the whole scriptures. I mean, what do you do? Think of things you do for half an hour every day. Things people do for half an hour every day? Facebook, at least half an hour every day. Instagram, at least half an hour every day. Hobbies, at least half an hour every day. Twelve minutes a day in the Bible, you get through it in a year. It's fabulous. That should be good news. You should say, I can do that. They'll walk away from this and say, oh, I got bashed in the head again about reading the Bible. No, no. You say, 12 minutes a day, and I can read through the Bible in a year. It's fabulous. Hope you go away thinking like that. So familiarity with the Word, that's the first thing. Secondly, help through the Word. The Bible will help you. Do you need help? <laughs> I need help. I know you need help. The Bible will help you. How will it help you? First of all, the Bible will give you wisdom for life. The Bible will give you wisdom for the life that you're to lead in this world. You have a life to lead for God, for the glory of God. You want to be a blessing to the saints. You want to be a witness to the the sinners. You want to glorify Christ. You want to be able to say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's how you want to live. You need help to do that. The Bible will give you wisdom for life. I was on a plane yesterday, and I overheard this brief conversation. My wife turned to the lady behind, sitting behind, and said, Would you please ask your son to stop kicking my chair? He had been doing it for about an hour and a half. I can honestly say I would never in my life be that patient. She was that patient and then finally said, Would you please ask your son not to kick my chair? I I was peeking through the chairs to see her response. And the lady said, the mother said, I've asked him ten times. Sorry. (laughs) Seriously. Okay, so there's a mom who's given up. I got nothing, she says. (laughs) I can't stop this kid. I thought to myself, the Bible can help you with that. I guess my first thought was, I can help you with that. Give him to me for a minute. (laughs) But then then I thought of something more sanctified, which was that the Bible can help you with that. 
You need wisdom for parenting. And the Bible will give you wisdom. Wisdom is defined as the art of being successful, of forming the correct plan to gain the desired results. That is, you, you want to live as God wants you to live, and God will give you wisdom so that you might do that. You won't get it from a Starbucks cup. You know the little sayings on the side, won't get it there. Won't get it from television personalities. You won't get it from your friends. You get it from the Bible. If young people want to know how to live, you read the Bible. You want to know wisdom for living in this world, you read the scriptures. Uh, Just turn for a moment to Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7. The proverb of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, but those who walk in the fear of the Lord, they'll be given wisdom. You want to know wisdom, it's in the scriptures. You want to know how to live, it's in the Bible. And the Bible will give you counsel for all areas of life. All areas. For instance, if you're a king and you want to know how to govern, you read the scriptures. And you can go to Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 and 19, and know and find there that that Israel's kings had to have their own Bible, you know. They had to write them out so that they would have the Scriptures in their hearts and in their minds so that they might govern well. Then think of parents. If parents are going to raise their children, we're told in Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7 that they're to write those principles and precepts on the hearts of their children. But first, those principles and precepts have to be in their own hearts. So have the Word of God in your heart and then endeavor under God to write them on the hearts of your children. So whether you're ruling a nation or whether you're raising children and everything else that's involved in life, you need the Word of God. And the Word of God will give you the wisdom that you need so that you might live and work and serve as you ought. Remember what we read in Proverbs 3 Verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. God will give you wisdom for this world and for the life and the service that lies before you. Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So the Bible gives us Wisdom for living. You need help. You need wisdom for living. You'll find it in the scriptures. Secondly, the Bible shows us the way of holiness. The Bible shows us the way of holiness. Romans 8.14 speaks about those who are led by the Holy Spirit. Now, the leading of the Holy Spirit is, is not this kind of thing. 
well, I want to buy the car and I don't know whether I should buy red or blue, will the Spirit lead me? That's not the kind of leading that the Bible talks about. The leading of the Spirit in Romans 8.14 is leading in the paths of holiness. The Spirit will lead you away from sin and the Spirit will lead you into holiness. That's what the Spirit of God does. That's the leading that the Spirit produces in our lives. That's the transformation that the Spirit will bring about in our hearts. He will help us to replace vice with virtue. That's the process of sanctification. It's getting rid of sin, and it's replacing it with sanctity, with holiness. Just turn for a moment to uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verses... 5 to 10. Now, this is what God does by His Spirit through His Word. Helps us to do the negative, which is to get rid of sin, and do the positive, which is to grow in holiness. We see it here in Colossians 3 and verse 10. We are to put on the new self, which is being renewed. Rather, let's start at verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so this is what we are to do, and this is how the Lord instructs us and guides us. We're to put off, and then we're to put on. We're to get rid of certain things, and we're to grow in certain other things. And you see, if you back up now to verse 5, Colossians 3 verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly to you, in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Do not lie to one another. You see, all of these things were to put off. Now then, verse 12, put on. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and so on. And see, the Lord knows the kinds of people we are. He knows what we're like. He knows that we can't just stop things. You know, stop that. Now, we need to stop this and then do something else. We need to put off and then put on. Nature, we're told, abhors a vacuum, and it's true of us. It's true of human psychology. We, we can't just stop things. We need something else to occupy us. So you read verses like this in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, where the Lord says uh, through Paul, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So you see, we're, we're to, to stop lying, but now you speak truth. He says um, later on in verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own. Put off this, stop that, and now do this. And then we read in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away, along with all this malice. But rather, now you do something positive. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Put off and put on. And we need to do that. It's like this, you know, in the area of, let's say, worry. If you read, if you read Matthew 6, 
25 to 33. Jesus says, don't worry. Well, the worst thing you can say to people who are worrying is, don't worry. As soon as you say, don't worry, they're going to worry. Now they're going to worry because, you know, they've been worrying. And they haven't stopped worrying, and it's hard to stop worrying. And, and now they're worrying about the fact that oh, they've been worrying a lot. So stop worrying, but Jesus says, focus on God. Stop worrying and remember your heavenly Father. That's the kind of thing the Bible the Bible does for us. It helps us to grow in holiness by showing us how to do it. It's saying, don't do this. Do this. Don't do this and do this instead. It's wonderfully helpful in terms of growing in holiness. And it also tells us what our resources are. It tells us that while we're justified, our position with God doesn't depend on our sanctifying uh, growth. It depends on the work of Jesus. Reminds us that we have the Spirit within us to empower us. It reminds us that we have the Word of God to be used as an instrument to sanctify us. It reminds us that we have the people of God who will encourage us and pray for us and be an example to us and and sympathize with, with us. And so the Bible is wonderfully useful when it comes to us growing in holiness. So the Bible gives us wisdom. And the Bible shows us the way of holiness. And thirdly, another way the Bible helps us, is uh, the Bible helps us when we're in trouble. And that's the particular case before us here in verse 147. I rise before dawn. He's awake in the middle of the night, you see. You ever been awake in the middle of the night? I find everything, everything's worse in the middle of the night. Everything's grim and bleak. Oh, he says, I rise before dawn and I cry for help. I hope in your words. He's confident. The word hope in the Bible is not like, um, oh, we think of hope. You know, I hope this happens. No, the, the word hope in the Bible is, is absolute certainty. God will help. It's something sure and certain. And he knows God will help. And he will help through his word. He's in trouble, the psalmist. He's crying to God for help. Oh, I'm going to look to your word. You'll help me there. And no wonder David is so certain. Because God's word is a mighty word. God's word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. God's word is like a fire. God's word is a sharp sword that's going to pierce right to your hearts. God's word is a mighty instrument. It can be used by the Spirit of God to raise people from spiritual death. It can raise you from the the weakness that affliction has brought upon you. It can establish you on your feet. It can set you off on a new journey. God's promises. Wonderful promises of God. You come and you read the Bible and you know, here is help for me. Here God will give me truth to establish me and set me on my way. These promises, do you know these verses? God promises He's going to supply you with your daily bread. I'm sure you know where that promise is. God promises that He will provide grace that is sufficient. Do you know where that is? Are these verses at your fingertips? You know these verses so that you can remember them 
Remember them and be established in your way. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God promises that he will be a very present help to you. Where's that found? Psalm 46. God promises that he will be with you in the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you have found that recently. What God promises in Psalm 23. God promises that he will supply your every need. Philippians 4. He promises that he will show you the way out of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10. He promises that he will keep you by his power through faith. Paul says that. uh, God says that through Peter. See, God helps us in our trouble through his word. Last couple of years, I memorized this verse. I wrote it down because in front of you, I won't be able to say it. I'm getting old too, brother. I understand what that's like. But this, this Psalm 112, verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. That's a great verse to memorize. I can't tell you how many times over the last couple of years uh, that verse has come to mind and helped to give me a little strength in my spine. And a little resolve in my step. So God helps us through uh, the times of trouble. And, you know, these verses, these texts that I've referenced, they're like, um, they're like stepping stones, you know. Getting through life is like crossing a fast-flowing river. And, and there are rocks, and you find these rocks that rise above the water, and you step on them, and, and you're not being swept away by the water anymore. No, you're... Your feet, it's on solid ground. These rocks aren't moving. And you step on them and, and you're okay and everything's going crazy around you, but you know, your feet are on solid ground. Your step is steadied. That's what these promises are like. That's what these texts are like. And you've memorized them and you've thought about them and you meditate on them. And uh, they steady you. And you get across. And you get to the other side. And you know from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the Lord will guide you. And you know from Job 26, 14, oh, you say, this is a big problem. Ah, but Job reminds us that the power of God, what we know of the power of God, that's just the hem of his garment. His power is infinite. He can handle these things. We know from Psalm 119, verses 67 and 71, that our troubles don't come to us in a purposeless way. God always has a reason. We were reminded of that this morning. We know from 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10, that God always gives us grace sufficient for whatever it is, whatever thorn He's put in our side. He gives us grace sufficient. And then we know from Luke 22, 31 and 32, that Jesus prays for us. Peter is being persecuted. Peter is being attacked. The devil turns his guns on Peter. And the Lord Jesus says, it's okay, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And when you return, when you get established, when you're on your feet again, encourage your brothers. I've prayed for you. You're going to stand again. And then you'll have work to do. Because you will have learned. And you will have been strengthened. And you will have greater wisdom. And you'll be able to speak from experience. 
And you'll understand and you'll sympathize. And God will use you. Have no fear. I've prayed for you, he says. It's wonderful. God, through his word, helps us in trouble. And then lastly, the Bible lifts our eyes toward heaven. It's important to know this isn't all there is. It's important to know that uh, all the troubles of this world, this veil of tears, this isn't it. This isn't the end. No, there's another world. We are people of eternity. Let's turn for a moment to Hebrews chapter 12. This is who we are. Now, we're made from dust, but we're people of eternity. And this is who we are in Christ, Hebrews 12 and verse 22. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We are people of eternity. We are those who are the children of God. We're part of a new race, a new humanity. And one day the kingdom will come, and one day glory will begin in our experience, and we will have this new heaven and this new earth to inhabit. And the heavenly Jerusalem will be a reality and we'll be part of it. And we always live in light of that. We always keep our eyes, as Paul says in Colossians 3, fixed on things above. And that's how we handle the troubles of this life. We remember, as Paul says, that this is light and momentary affliction, which is working for us an eternal weight of glory. And when we are weighed down, and when our arms are hanging down and our knees are weak and we find it difficult to put one foot in front of another, we remember it's all right. It's worth it all. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And this is light and it's momentary in comparison with the glory that awaits us in the world to come. And you see, how the Bible helps us then to navigate the rough and troubled waters of this life is it keeps our eyes fixed above. It's always telling us not to be overwhelmed with this, but to keep our eyes fixed on that. Lift your eyes. Look heavenward. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Where is he? He's in heaven. What's he doing? He's preparing a place. Is he coming back? Yes, he is. To receive us to himself. And we will see him face to face. And this, here, will be worth it all. This is what the Bible does for us. This is how we're strengthened. This is how we're helped. Because we are told by the scriptures again and again there's a world to come. There's glory that awaits. And there's everlasting 
fellowship with God. World without end. I go to prepare a place for you, says Jesus, and I will come again to receive you to myself. All of this, of course, is through Jesus. The Bible is going to help us. But I'm talking to Christians, you see. And if you're a Christian, I, I beg you. I urge you. Don't neglect the Scriptures. Get into the Bible. It's one of the most exciting things you can do. Read the Scriptures day by day. Feed your soul. Take in this nourishment. Be gluttonous when it comes to eating the bread of life. And you'll find, as did David, even in trouble, you cry to the Lord. You hope in His Word. God helps you. In all these other ways we mentioned at the beginning, but he helps you through his word. Get into the scriptures. And if you're not a Christian, remember, all these things we've been talking about, it's for believers. God, oh, God uses his word to encourage his people. He gives these promises to his people. He tells his people that there is a glory that awaits for them, but not for you if you're not a Christian. And so I want to remind you that all these wonderful things we've touched on so very briefly, they're for Christians. And they're not for you. Don't imagine that you're okay. It's just because occasionally you go to church. Don't imagine that you're okay because all the time you go to church. Don't imagine that you're okay because everybody in your family is a Christian. You're only okay if you're a Christian. If you know the Lord Jesus yourself. If you've asked the Lord Jesus yourself to save you. If you're forgiven, you, yourself, then you're safe. Then you're okay. Then all these promises, you know, that God will guide you and He'll be with you and He'll protect you and He'll make you holy and He'll provide for you. All those promises. Then they're yours. And then all is well with you. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, how we thank you for what a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian. Those of us here who are believers, how we bless your name that that we're yours. We belong to you. And, and even when we're troubled, even when we're weighed down, we cry to you for help. And our hope is in your word. We know. We know that you'll be with us. And we know that you'll help us. So we thank you for that. We thank you that we're never left to ourselves. But you're with us every step of the way. So bless us. Make us men and women of your word. So that we might be steadied and that we might be steadfast and that we might be strengthened through your word. Bless those who are strangers to your grace, we pray. Do not let them leave this place without having come and had dealings with you and come to the Lord Jesus.
for life. Bless your word then, for Jesus' sake. Amen.